0: Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show I have a very special guest. Her name is Maureen Boyle, and she published a book titled The Ghost, The Murder of Police Chief Greg Adams and the Hunt for His Killer. And right now it has 301 five-star reviews. There's an audio book on Amazon as well. This is not Maureen's first book. She also wrote back in 2017, Shallow Graves, The Hunt for the New Bedford Highway Serial Killer. Uh, she is an award-winning journalist who's been a crime reporter in new england for decades she's earned a number of national and regional awards for her writing and reporting including being named new england journalist of the year three times And her first book shallow graves was honored by the public safety writers association she's currently the director of the journalism program at stonehill college in Easton, mass massachusetts and lives in new england with her family and you can see a lot of her writing in her books at her website, which is her full name, plus writer at the end. It's Maureen Boyle, B-O-Y-L-E, writer.com, so you can see that. But these this was a really interesting story. I'd never heard about this particular criminal case, so I was fascinated to read and hear about this. It's a very well-written book, so I'm delighted to have Maureen Boyle on the show. So, Maureen, welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. Oh,
1: thank you, and I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome. So for people who may not have heard your background, these books. Can you kind of talk about your writing career, kind of maybe some of the other journalism you, you've done, what led you to write Shallow Graves, and then this book, The Ghost. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I've been a, a, a writer well, just about all of my life, and I've been a journalist since, I, um, since high school. Uh, and I found myself drawn into uh, police uh, reporting, Uh, for most of my career, police and court reporting. Uh, So I've been doing this type of work for daily newspapers for for decades. With my first book, Uh, Shallow Graves, A Hunt for the New Bedford Highway Serial Killer, I was actually the reporter in New Bedford at the time at the daily newspaper there called the Standard Times of New Bedford. I'd been there for a while. And in that case, uh, a number of women were reported missing and some of their, and bodies started showing up along highways, all of, uh, and no one knew what was going on. Um, The, all of the women in uh, shallow graves were uh, drug addicted and so their backgrounds were, um, were troubled uh, primarily because of their, um, their drug addiction. The uh, so I was covering that as a reporter, and during that period of time, I really did think that the uh, the killer would be found. Uh, the, the short version of what happened in uh, in New Bedford at that time, the 11 women went missing between roughly March of 1988 and September of 1988. Um, and no one really put all the disappearances together until. Ah, uh, probably September, late August, September of nineteen eighty-eight, and by that time, uh, by the time the uh, police put it all together, um, the disappearances appear, uh, appear to have stopped, um, and the they discovered that uh, the, the women were were dead. Uh, so. Nine of the 11 women were eventually found along uh, highways surrounding the city of New Bedford. New Bedford is where they were last seen. Uh, For those that aren't familiar about about New Bedford, New Bedford is a a large fishing port, commercial fishing port in New England. It is often the largest in the country. Uh, It is primarily a working class community. It's a very tight knit community. there are, you know, large families that are very tight knit. Um, people have a tendency to put roots down into the greater New Bedford area and and they don't leave. So when this happened, um, when the, the disappearances and eventual discovery of the bodies happened, it really struck a chord with just about everyone in the community because everyone who knew someone who was tied to the victims, Uh, whether they went to school with them, whether they were related to them, uh, either by blood or by marriage, um, a friend of a friend. uh, It really uh, took a toll, an emotional toll on the community.
0: New Bedford is just south. It's directly south of Boston. It's kind of the south eastern part of massachusetts yeah. right close to yes. providence yeah it's close to providence
1: it's uh, it's actually closer to providence in boston it's uh, 45 minutes uh, from providence and for anyone who has driven to the cape from the greater new york area uh, you would be driving uh, as you're driving on 195 to get to the cape you would go right uh past new bedford So anyone who's gone to the Cape and is going along the Southern coast of uh, Massachusetts, they'll they'll have uh, gone past New Bedford at some point. So in in the New Bedford case, um, by the time police realized that they had a serial killer uh, in the community, he had already stopped. Um, So as a result, it was very, very difficult um, to track, where the women had once been, who the killer might be. Uh, one of the main, one of the very main problems in the case was that the, uh, the women, by the time the women were found and identified, um, they, police couldn't figure out where they had been last seen. Uh, there was a couple, maybe just a couple of the victims they had a very strong timeline on what happened, where they were last seen, but for the bulk of the, the victims, they did not have a really tight timeline. Uh, so it was very, very difficult to track who was the last person uh, to have seen them. Uh, if they had um, gotten into a car, if someone had picked them up, there was uh, that was a, a really big uh, problem, uh, as well as the fact that they're... Uh, their bodies were found um, months, uh, for the most part, months after they went missing.
0: So that was, I never had heard of that case. So i never heard of the new Bedford, Bedford Highway Sealer. But there's been other ones. I think there's one on Long Island. There was a highway yep. seal. So it must have been something odd like that so this part, whoever was doing it was hiding the bodies they weren't leaving them in plain sight to be discovered no,
1: no and but you know what the, the the killer wasn't hiding them very well uh, what the killer was doing was pulling up along the side of the highway uh getting out of the vehicle and you know picking up the body and dumping them right off the highway uh just but not uh, enough, further in enough so that you would not see the re- the bodies if you were driving by, but if you stopped along the highway uh, and walked in a few feet into the brush, that's when they, you could see the uh, the remains. And that's how uh, two the first two bodies were discovered. By uh, the first body was discovered by a woman who was driving up uh, one of the roadways uh, in Freetown, which is uh, right outside of New Bedford, and she had to uh, use the facility, so to speak, Um, and there was nothing along that roadway, and she pulled over and walked into the brush and discovered um, one of the remains, and and the second body that was found was two men on motorcycles who pulled over along the highway and walked walked into the brush and discovered the the second body.
0: So they found, the police somehow found that 11 disappearances and death were attributed to one person or was it a group? How did that, how well, did that well they
1: believe that it was, it was one person. Uh, they There was 11, 11 women went missing. Only nine of the uh, bodies have been found. There are still two women who are still missing and they believe that they are still out there someplace. They just haven't probably just by happenstance have not been found.
0: Well, wow. so that's, that's it. There was no resolution to that case. No. no, just suspects or anything. Just. Well, the they oil. had, they
1: had, a, they had suspects. They had a lot of suspects. And I think that was one of the the problems or one of the issues. Uh, and that's one of the things I find most frightening is that they had so many suspects, um, uh, And even in the community, people were looking over their shoulders, saying, "You know, this guy is pretty weird, and this guy is pretty weird, and what about the, you know, so and so's uh, ex-husband or so and so's ex-boyfriend?" It was it was an interesting time, and and it still is. And they looked at um, doctors, lawyers, dentists. They looked at police officers. They looked at members of the Coast Guard. Uh, They looked at fishermen. Um, the one theory was that perhaps it was a fisherman from uh, the south who came up into New bedford and um was the killer they looked at um whether um it was you know again whether it was a police officer or, or someone of authority like that in uh, that because the, the women may have gone willingly with them um, there is. They, they looked at possible uh, any drug dealers uh, that they may have had contact with because the the uh, point that that uh, was really the key in the, the case was their all of their drug use. Um, and so the period of time, someone was asking what the period of time yeah. the the women disappear? They disappeared between roughly March of 1988 and September of 1988.
0: And So they, all in that short, kind of a short period of time relatively. So like yes. one a month.
1: Wow. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because they were all adults uh, and they were not there wasn't anything that was a wow moment of There was only two cases where it was, oh my God, a police report, missing persons report was filed immediately. And those were the cases where they were able to really have a a really strong timeline. It was two or three, uh, a fairly decent timeline. But in many of the other cases, uh, people were reported missing um, weeks or months Uh, after they went missing. And in at least two cases, um, the victims were never officially reported missing. Wow. Until after they were found found dead.
0: So they were in the drug trafficking. Were they uh, prostitutes or kind of like living on the lower socioeconomic ladder, like all of them?
1: Well, um, no. Some of the women did have a record of arrest record for prostitution, but not all of them. The, the common thread in all of the disappearances were that all the women were addicted to drugs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and, and you have to remember in 1988, like now in 1988, there was not at least around here, uh, there was not as um, plentiful of, uh, drug treatment programs for women uh, as it were for, for men. So, uh, and I would see that as a reporter because I knew, uh, and I had interviewed a number of women who were addicted primarily to heroin during that time. And they would try and struggle to get into uh, drug treatment programs. And there was such a a long waiting list for, and then by the time a bed was available, that window of opportunity in their mind was gone, and they were back using very heavily.
0: Wow, I never heard about that case—the New Bedford Se- Highway Serial Killer. Fascinating. Yes. So that yeah. was 2017. You wrote about that. This book that you wrote, *The Ghost*, 2021, right? That's kind uh, of when you put it yes. together after you published *Shallow Graves*.
1: Yes, yes. And what's, what's in- interesting? Excuse me. <coughs>
0: And this one, I mean, the title is The Murder of Police Chief Greg Adams. It happened in his death was Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. So yes. yeah, I mean, can you kind of talk about the background? It's really fascinating because this death happened, but there's a lot of backstory yeah. to this book, the ghosts, a lot of factual backstory.
1: Well, there, there's also a tie to uh the Greater New Bedford area, also. Um, after the the ghost was after the ghost was, uh, was, you know, in the process of being published, I mean, uh, Shallow Graves was in the process of being published. I was thinking of, okay, what will be the next project? And, <coughs> excuse me, and this uh, case came back up. Came back up. Um, this involves the murder of Saxonburg police chief uh, Gregory Adams. Saxonburg is a very small community in uh, in pennsylvania it is what had been described to me as you know saxonburg is like mayberry usa and it really is it's a lovely small community where everyone knows each other where people walk downtown it's just a, an absolutely lovely community
0: in west pennsylvania right yep. west.
1: yes yes it's, it's about an hour from pittsburgh uh, and the, uh, the police chief, he was one of two police officers on the force. Uh, the police chief had, it was shortly before Christmas, the police chief had pulled over a vehicle in the, after, in the afternoon. Uh, the, and where he pulled them over was about a block and a half away from the police station. And the person that he pulled over um, attacked him, beat him, and and fatally shot him. And then the person took off. Um, they believed based on the blood that was found there, that perhaps the chief had also shot the suspect. So they also checked, <clears throat> excuse me. Some right it, local- was just,
0: right it was December 4th, 1980. So yes.
1: This, this goes, back goes back a number of okay. years.
0: Goes back, comes to the present, but it goes back. To-
1: <laughs> yes. In the the um the suspect just vanished. Uh, police obviously converged right on the scene immediately. Uh, state police and uh, commu- uh, police from throughout the area, and they were blocking off roads. They had helicopters up in the air, and the suspect vanished, like, literally like a ghost. The, uh, eventually they were able to identify the suspect, um, and it took a little bit, and a Remember, back in 1980, you didn't have the Internet. Uh, Most departments were not computerized. So they were doing a lot of hand sifting through records and um, phone calls. It was very much, you know, boots on the ground type of thing, old school law enforcement. But they were able fairly quickly to identify the suspect, and it was a man named uh, Donald Webb. Uh, He was a low-level mobster from uh, the greater New Bedford area. He was living in New Bedford at the time, but he was hanging out with a group of other thieves who were known to police as the Fall River Gang because most of them were from Fall River. Uh, They would travel uh, around the East Coast. They did most of their jobs um, outside of where they lived in Pennsylvania, in Maryland, Virginia, Connecticut, uh, outside of their home area, uh, thinking it was, they wouldn't get caught. And, and you know, sometimes they'd got caught, but most of the times they didn't. Uh, so the police went to uh, the, uh, down, the suspect's uh, home and, uh, talked with his wife, and his wife said she didn't know where he was. They were, you know, staking out her house, staking out uh, the uh, homes of his associates, and they were coming up dry. They followed his wife. They followed the associates, uh, and this went on for a number of years, and eventually eventually, uh, Donald Webb was named one of the... uh, the, uh, to the, uh, the FBI's uh, most wanted list. So there was a re- also a reward for, uh, his capture, but no one was talking. No one was saying where he was. Uh, the search for him took them to Canada, to, uh, uh, uh Miami, uh, to a, a wide range of places, they interviewed people in California, in the Midwest, uh, and they came up dry every single time.
0: Right, but that wasn't that was a mystery. But the mystery was also this guy had he when he was arrested, it was under a different name, Stanley Portis, right?
1: Yes. So he yes. was
0: had all these varying different names, and even Webb wasn't his birth name, right?
1: Um. No, it was was not Perkins,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, Perkins.
1: Yeah, his. Well, Webb was his. Was another family name that he was known as. Uh, But yeah, he was. He would use a variety of uh, of aliases. And at the time that he was stopped uh, by uh, Chief Adams, he had a a fake uh, driver's license in the name uh, last name of Portis, which was uh, Stanley Portis, which was the um, name of his wife's. A uh, late husband. So they, but, and that's how they were able to uh, backtrack it when they realized, you know, this name and the people in New Bedford recognized the name of who it was and that he was dead and that was an alias uh, for uh, Donald Can, Webb.
0: Right. Can you talk about Donald Webb's background before 1980? Because he, this wasn't his first crime, right?
1: Oh, no, no, not at all. He had been in and out of jail and in prisons, uh, for much of his life. Uh, he had done, uh, at one point early in his career, he, uh, after he got out of the service or he was uh, told to leave the service might be more appropriate. Uh, he, uh, ro- went to one of the bases and, uh, stole a safe. Uh, he robbed a bank in Boston. Um, uh, he had, uh, did a lot of uh, home inv- home robberies uh, of business people that uh, he and his crew believed had cash in their houses. Uh, he They would prey on a lot of restaurant owners uh, who were known to have cash uh, at home. They, uh, in his, prior to the killing of Chief Adams, uh, he and the uh, a couple of his buddies were in New York, upstate New York, and they were pulling a scam of going up to houses, uh claiming to be uh, members of the city or the county, and they wanted to check, you know, like the meters or checking out something in the house. Then uh, they went to a home of this elderly couple, who were, and this couple was very, very suspicious. Uh, one of the, one member, one of, uh, I think it was the, uh, wife was at the front door and talking to them and they, they wanted to go into the basement. They said, no, the couple said no. And they saw one of the, them saw that when the suspects going around to the rear of the house and that is when they, they notified police. And that's how the, uh, the, the crew got ca- caught at that time. Uh, and the, after they were caught, they were arraigned and they skipped out on bail. So uh, Donald Webb, when he shot the chief, was uh, wanted. was a wanted man for skipping out on a crime in upstate New York. Now there was, you know, some uh, speculation that he fought the chief because he didn't want to go to prison. However, the way things were in 1980 with uh, the technology. It was very, very difficult in 1980 to check warrants. So there is a it was a whole process. Today uh, police can just, you know, call it up on the laptop in the in their vehicle, but back then it was not like that. Um, often, especially in the smaller departments, they would have to call dispatch, and then someone there would have to call the state police, and then sometimes someone in the state police would have to check with their dispatch. So it was a very long, convoluted. Uh, process. So there's, uh, if he had not attacked the chief, he probably would have been able to just go on his merry way. And I think that's one of the saddest parts of it. But prior to the, the killing, he had been uh, seen, you know, as part of the investigation is they're back tracking to see where he had been prior to the killings. Um, he had been, um, he he had some other, uh, dealings with the state police uh, prior to that. One, one interesting little tale is he had um, locked his keys in his car and it was running and he didn't have an extra set of keys. It was a rental car. He didn't have an extra set of keys. So he called the state police to uh, help him get into his car and the state police uh, in the area uh, came helped him, brought him to a local dealership. uh, And that dealership had called the car rental, the place where the car was uh, out of, uh, to get the the key numbers, to make a new key. And he went on his merry way, uh, thanked the trooper. Uh, But the next day, he went to the barracks and left a bottle of very good um, liquor, on the counter for the uh, for the state trooper, and he told the the desk person, you know, this is tell him this is from me, and it's uh, my thanks for him uh, helping me out. So, and the state police remembered that and remembered uh, that the whole situation there, and that's also one of the ways that they traced him back to Massachusetts because when he got that key made, um, it came back to a, a dealership in Taunton, Massachusetts and a real name. So they were able to, um, tie him, uh, to, to Massachusetts yet again.
0: And he was, uh, some type of either soldier or something affiliated with the patriarch, uh, crime family, right? Oh, it, Providence. Wasn't there he, an affiliation there?
1: He was, um, well, he's, he was an Italian, so he was not a made man or anything like that. He had some distant um, affiliation with them, uh, where he would, you know, often sell items to him. So he had uh, some ties to the to the Rhode Island mob.
0: Right, and he uh, found it interesting that the day of the killing of Adams on December fourth, nineteen eighty. Patriarch also got arrested. So the yes. was a little curious time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and, and what's, what's interesting, during that period of time, there was, um, you know, so much uh, going on with the, the Providence and the Boston mob. Uh, a number of people turning up dead and, you know, getting arrested and things like that. So that was a, an interesting, uh, interesting time.
0: Right. And it was an interesting time. And one of the things you mentioned is a case that I know of that happened around that time. His group was called the Fall River Gang, but around there at that time, the police were involved with another serial killing called the Fall River Colt Murders, which I've covered. Right. So that was yes. also strange, strange happening. That was, they were almost juggling time between this case and that one.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, d- during that period of time, um, the state police were juggling a lot of high profile c- cases. Uh, they were going to court. Um, on some retrials on a, a child murder case, it was a pretty horrendous case, uh, as all child murders are. It was a you know a pedophile killing a, a kid, the and they were dealing with the the Fall River cult murder, so called Fall River cult murders, and then juggling this case, and then uh, you know a few years later there was also the Big Dan's case.
0: What's the Big Dan's case? I'm not the
1: familiar. big Big Dan's case was a. a a gang rape in New Bedford, where um, the allegation was a, a group of men gang raped a, a woman on a, on a pool table. There, there was a film loosely based on it. Um,
0: oh, so on that, that was the one with Jodie yes. Foster. Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Okay. So yeah, that
1: but it. that it loose, very loosely based on it.
0: Yeah, a matter of like it was all about consent and all the kind yeah, of. Yeah,
1: it was. Um, uh, but you know, they, they were. It was a an insane time, uh, to say the least, for the state police then. But right right. Uh, right right after the once they were able to identify that Webb was more than likely in Massachusetts, if he wasn't dead, um, uh, Pennsylvania State Police came up here to to Massachusetts, and they were working with the state police to um, to try and, and locate locate him. However, there the element of surprise to you know in the case was it was a bit lost because as they were trying to you know positively id who the killer was um who stanley portis was um one of the uh, fbi agents at the time had called the state police and the person who is in charge of the unit who had transferred in uh from a local department he it was a lateral move uh he said oh you know i know that who that is that's you know Donald Webb, and he uh, apparently called uh, Webb's wife and said, hey, you know, they're looking for Donald for a murder. So she had a heads up.
0: Um, wow. So that, that seems to be kind of a systemic issue with New England, or at least Boston or Massachusetts, is that <laughs> these, there's a lot of leaks and stuff like that around there. Yeah. You look at, like, the Whitey Bulger case.
1: yeah. Wow.
0: So they, they were tipped off. I mean, and that was 1980. This case, they were, he was a most wanted fugitive. I can't remember like who kicked him off the top 10 list or whatever, but he was on there. Webb was on there for decades, right? Over a decade oh, at least.
1: Oh, for, for decades. Um, well, I think uh, they they bumped him off at one point because uh, because of his age. Uh, they were were not certain if he was still alive or not. So if they don't have, and they have a whole process for whether to keep uh, people on the t- on the uh, on the most wanted list, and uh, one of the things is, you know, are they still a danger, or it's, uh, if there is there a chance that they're that they're dead, and because of his age, they believed that there was a chance that he was dead, and that was one of the reasons why he was uh, eliminated. He
0: was taken off the list. Right. So it was just the the belief that he, um, wow. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing case. Like those, this is one of those cases that didn't go away. Like it just. No, it didn't.
1: And you know, what's really, I think frightening about it is that so many people, even in the New Bedford, uh, greater New Bedford area, greater New Bedford, Fall River area, did not even know that he was wanted. Uh, Part of that may be that, You know, there was no social media then. But as I was looking through old newspapers, um, there wasn't any, you know, major news story. You know, cop killer is from this area. Cop killer may be, you know, hiding here. There, There wasn't a big media push that you would see today. It was none of that. And I was absolutely stunned. The first story I had seen was, you know, quite a at least a a month and a half afterwards. And it was a very small piece um, in the Fall River paper and it was inside. It wasn't on the front page. So it's almost like
0: the police didn't really uh, send out that notification to the public, even back then, like, Hey, this guy may be around. Do you know him? Do you know what he looks like? Didn't he have some kind you said that he had some kind of syndrome, right? Osler Weber, or something that, yeah.
1: And uh, so they, they did check hospitals, and at that time they were also they were under the assumption that he had been shot. So they were also checking hospitals for gunshot wounds, and they came up with nothing.
0: But there was blood found. They found his rented white cougar, right?
1: Yes. So they found yep.
0: blood on that. So they, I think they that gave them the idea. It was his type of blood type yep. too. Right?
1: His, yeah. his type of blood. So that because of the blood, they they thought well, he must have been shot. Right. So there, Which, there was. Which is, you know, which leads to, you know, never assume anything. Um, And I think in that that case, um, perhaps uh, some investigators may have uh, broken their own internal rule of never assume anything and keep all options open. But they, uh, you know, they, uh, his vehicle was found in Rhode Island. uh, So that's set some Uh, a bit of the investigation into the uh, Rhode Island area, but they were still looking very closely in New Bedford and and they were really intent on following um, his, his wife because they were several of the investigators were convinced that uh, she knew where he was. They even put up uh, surveillance cameras on uh, telephone poles trained on our house to see. uh, And the FBI was
0: involved too. So it was a federal case. Yes, I mean, it they, was. Their agency, I forgot their name. Was it, yeah. uh, Ed, and the guy, Ed Dennis was also involved in Chappaquiddick. So there's this little web of, uh.
1: Oh, there it is. It yeah. Well, yeah and, and especially in New Bedford, because it is, it is really, it's a city, but it's a small town in some ways. Uh, Ed Denise, who had been involved, had been the, uh, DA investigating the Chappaquiddick case. He was, you know, a, a side character in all of this, because when this, um, uh, State police from Pennsylvania came up to search for for Webb. They stayed in the hotel that he owned uh, in in Fairhaven. At that time, that was one of the few hotels in the area. Um, and with you know, fast forward to the current time, um, the new younger FBI agents who had uh, worked the Whitey Bolger case uh, then took over. Um, this case, and, you know, did a re-examination to to ultimately resolve the case. But, but, you know, going back to how people didn't know anything about it, I worked in New Bedford for, you know, for more than a decade. And when I got to New Bedford, I'm not originally from New Bedford, when I got there in 1984, uh, and I was covering cops in 1985, uh, people were talking about um, Donald Webb's stepson, who, uh, had been a, a new Bedford cop at one point, And he got in a little bit of uh, a jam and he was no, he, uh, quit. He was, uh, they were investigating him and then he eventually, uh, left the department. Uh, but people would, would talk about him and almost as an aside, uh, said, yeah, his, his, um, stepfather, uh, killed a cop. Um, and it did not hit me that he was still, you know, out there that he had not been arrested, um, which I found very troubling. If people were more concerned about, you know, his stepson um, and the guy who killed someone. Uh, it was almost an afterthought, and no one, no one mentioned to me, oh, by the way, you know, he's still, he's still out there. He's wanted by the FBI. It was just very, very strange because I would have been all over it uh, at that time, you know, five, six, seven years later.
0: Right. And New Bedford isn't that big, it's a hundred thousand, I think, in the yep. whole general area. So mm-hmm. it's decent size, but sometimes those little towns are, you know, talk and small. Um worried I, I would, about
1: yeah. So I was I was kicking myself like where was I during all this? And no one said anything to me about right, this. So guy. It was
0: happening right underneath the surface. Yeah. And, um, and even,
1: and even once the case was resolved some state troopers said to me I never heard about this case
0: wow it's interesting
1: you know That's younger state. troopers
0: right I mean it just was in a small you know people trying to follow up in small yeah. parts of the government it's odd it is interesting that these these some of these cases just aren't as well publicized as others this one should have been if this guy was on the uh, FBI's most wanted list too so it seems very curious. Maureen, we're at about 36 minutes. Is there anything you'd like to add? I mean, anything I'd like to summarize? I mean, there's a lot more in this book.
1: Yes, yes, there happens. is.
0: So, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And there's, uh, I'll tell you, your listeners should definitely pick up the ghost. There is a really great twist into this case. And that is what really hooked me into writing the, the this uh, this book. It yeah. is, uh, it's, unbe- it's unbelievable uh, how it ends. And it really highlights the importance of law enforcement working together. Uh, and in this case, uh, it was the FBI, state police in Pennsylvania, and the state police in Massachusetts, all three of them working hand in hand, and that's how it was solved. I don't think any one of them were, would have been able to solve it, but all three of them working together, each of them brought something really unique into the case, and that's why it was solved. And
0: and people can listen to the audio version of it too, right? There's an yes. audio version yep. on Amazon, so yep. people can check that out. And the best place to reach you is your website, Maureen yes. Boyle Writer. Yep. And,
1: and I'm also on, I'm also on Twitter, uh, and it's Maureen E Boyle One. I'm on Instagram, and I always forget the all my uh, my names on all of these uh, sites. On and Instagram, sorry, Maureen Maureen, Boyle one
0: on Twitter, right?
1: Yep, and um, Maureen E Boyle um, on Instagram and on Twitter is. Let me just make sure. I am one of those people who early on, when I was doing social media. I would sign up for all these different social media sites and then promptly lose my password.
0: You're not it's, alone. Yeah. <laughs> Even being
1: yeah. But on Twitter, it's Maureen E. Boyle1.
0: Twitter's Maureen E. Boyle1. Okay. I yes. will put that in the show notes. People can follow yep. you, follow your yes. writing, yes. see what's going on, see some of your other journalism. Again, the title of the book we talked about today is The Ghost, The Murder of Police Chief Greg Adams and the Hunt for His Killer. 301 five-star reviews on Amazon, published 2021. Author again is Maureen Boyle. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Oh, thank you very much. And thank you for having me. I appreciate awesome.
0: it. Awesome. Well, thanks for being to the interview. Stay there for a second. Okay. So...